The message today is entitled, The Entrance Fee at the Gates of Righteousness. The Entrance Fee at the Gates of Righteousness. Asa was a king of Israel, a righteous king, sought to follow the Lord, did not follow in the ways of Ahab. He had reforms in the nation. He turned the people back to the Lord. But then in the latter years, he turned aside from trusting in the Lord. He made a treaty with the king of Israel, a man wicked and in rebellion against the Almighty. In Second Chronicles, the 16th chapter, verse 9, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He was rebuked for his foolish reaching out to a wicked king. God was angry with him because of this and said, the wrath of God is going to rest on you. The prophet came and spoke this to him and Asa became so enraged in verse 10, chapter 16, verse 10, that he put this prophet in prison and brutally oppressed some of the people. There is not anything uglier than a follower of the Lord God of heaven who treats abusively the children of God. Asa was full of himself. He became sick with an affliction of the feet, not accidentally. He could no longer walk. He sought the help of all the doctors, but he would not ask the Lord for help with his feet. And soon thereafter, he died, unable to walk. Jehoshaphat, His son, a righteous man, became king. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah, so they did not make war with Jehoshaphat, so he had time to send out teachers throughout Judah and Benjamin to teach them how to serve the living God, to teach them about the ceremonies and the sacrifices and everything that was involved in the Old Covenant. The Lord honored Jehoshaphat with great wealth and great honor. And then he too decided in the pride of his heart that he would make an arrangement with Israel, with Ahab, by marriage.
Now, the judgment of God also began to come on Jehoshaphat. The issue was very simple. Jehoshaphat, like his father Asa, became proud under the Lord's blessing. As happened so many times in history, we seek after the Lord with all of our heart. We are hungry for God. God begins to step in and protect us with a wall of fire around us. And then the natural response is that cash begins to flow. We begin to prosper. And then we begin to think that we're prospering because of what we're doing. That it's not God who is prospering us. It's us. It's our skill. It's our dedication. No, it's our holiness. The greatest task God has is to cause us to disown ourselves. To stop thinking that we're important. When a person decides that they want to seek after the Lord with all of their heart, often that person will begin to be self-righteous and will create for themselves their own holiness so that they can say, I obey the Lord God of heaven, so I'm somebody. You need to be like me. No, the Lord doesn't want us to create our own holiness. He wants to be our holiness. All of us were given natural talents when we were born. Public speaking was not one of my natural talents. I'll never forget the first sermon I gave as an adult was in college. And I was chosen to speak at the main worship service in the mega church. I stood up to begin to preach. And my knees were knocking so badly, I had to brace them against the pulpit. And fortunately, there was a shelf inside the pulpit, and I could brace my legs lest I would have fallen down. I don't know how I stumbled through that sermon, and it was obvious to everyone that I was not a skilled public speaker. I murdered the king's English because that was my default position that I grew up in my family with. Ain't was a common word for me. Mixing up tenses. The senior pastor afterward said to me, Raymond, you are not a preacher. Hopefully, you can become a teacher. And he did not ever ask me to speak again. In seminary, I took a class 
in homiletics. And part of the task was each student was to present a message, an abbreviated sermon. I did so and was given a D. It was obvious I was not a skilled public speaker. It was obvious that I was country, inarticulate. How could God use me? And a wonderful professor took me aside, the teacher of the homiletics class, and then later an expository preaching class. And he said to me, Ray, if you were articulate, you would be filled with pride. God cannot use your natural talents. God is going to give you the ability to preach. And he prayed for me. And I began to experience an indwelling presence of God in a new gifting in preaching. My second year in seminary, I took another class in public speaking, in preaching. And the evaluation, one of the men said to me, what happened to you? You are an extremely dangerous preacher because you have become exceedingly skilled. Last year, you were the worst of us. This year, you're the best of us. What happened? I said, Jesus. He could not use my natural gifts. He had to replace them with his gifts. And I've been very aware through all of the years of my ministry that I cannot preach. It is only as the Holy Spirit comes and quickens and gives to me the ability to be articulate. Natural gifts are not used by Jesus in the work of the kingdom. All of those natural gifts have to be totally laid down because they will only produce pride in our hearts. And as we lay down the natural giftings, the call of God comes upon us. And the call of God is also the enabling of God. And he begins to bring into our life the ability to do what he's called us to do. It has nothing to do with natural ability. It is all what Jesus Christ begins to place in us as he creates us to be the tool in his hand to accomplish his purpose, whatever that purpose is. The price of entrance or the entrance fee to the gate of righteousness 
is to utterly lay down our life and to disown ourself from ourself. To give up the pride of thinking that I can do something great if God will just give me a shot at it. If you believe that, you are a candidate for pride and arrogance. And you will create bitter wine and moldy bread. God has not called us to be great. He's called us to allow him to be great in us. So Asa, this great king, full of himself, righteous in some ways, but utterly filled with pride, dies not being able to walk because he was proud of his walk. And so Jehoshaphat, he makes the same mistake. He makes a treaty with Israel. He marries the daughter of Ahab. Chapter 20, after this, after this, the prophet had rebuked him and said, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. The wrath of God began to come on Jehoshaphat. Now please understand, when you begin to walk in pride in your life, the wrath of God will begin to come upon your life. And you will not be able to handle what's coming at you. You will be utterly wiped out. This is purposely the way of God so that he can bring you to an end of yourself and cause you to begin to humble your heart before God so that he can now begin to demonstrate to you his willingness to bring you full deliverance. This is not an easy process, and it has taken us, some of us, a number of years. For me, it's taken a great many years for God to humble my heart until finally I come to a place where I say, Lord, I have nothing to offer you but the blood you shed on Calvary's tree. That I offer before your throne. It's the blood of Jesus that broke the back of the devil at Calvary. It's the blood of Jesus that breaks the marriage that won't work. It's the blood of Jesus that opens the door of financial opportunity. It's the blood of Jesus that refreshes us and gives the, the ability to perform the task that God has assigned to us. I want you to look at the very specific process 
that is outlined in the 20th chapter of 2 Chronicles. The wrath of God is now upon Jehoshaphat. His response to the wrath of God being upon him is to say, okay, I've got to go teach everybody how to be righteous. So now I'm going to begin to tell everybody what they must do. And he was right. He needed to teach what they should do. But his going out and teaching other people what they should do did not open for him the gate of righteousness. There's there's nothing more apparent than I begin to teach you to do things that I'm not willing to do. If my testimony is not in line with my word, you will not value my word. You have to see the testimony of a man or woman's life reflecting the reality of what they say. Or you blow them off. Now, what Israel feared more than anything else was an attack by an enemy army. And it's very clear that Jehoshaphat had a very powerful army. He could field over one million soldiers, mighty soldiers. You understand Jerusalem was right in the path of the travel from Egypt to Mesopotamia. It was the route by which all commerce had to flow between these two great powers of influence in the world. Power resided in Egypt and in Mesopotamia, in Babylon. And Jerusalem was on the main route. So they always were having to watch carefully lest Egypt or Mesopotamia come against them and say, let's take over the trade route. Because obviously great wealth was made in Israel, in Judah, because of the financial commerce. The camels traveling loaded with goods. This was the, this was the silk highway. The Moabites and the Ammonites They all got together and they said, let's destroy the Israelites. Let's just take them out. 
and let's take over this powerful trade route. I suspect they came with an army of probably two million men with all of the latest armaments and weapons. They were ready to destroy Jerusalem and take over the trade route. Word came to Jehoshaphat, this army from the other side of the Dead Sea is coming very rapidly toward us. And he was alarmed. Now, please, usually we will not begin to humble our heart until we're alarmed. I wish that weren't so. I wish we could just humble our hearts because we see the love of Jesus. But the Lord will generally overwhelm us with work, with relationships. He will allow all kinds of things to begin to come against us in order to alarm us because nothing's going to happen in our life until we're alarmed. You will not pray until you are alarmed. Generally, people don't get serious in the prayer closet until they have to. He is alarmed. Verse 3, chapter 20, verse 3. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. So he's now alarmed. He is awake. And he's saying, okay, this is not something I can handle. Do you understand? As long as you think you can handle what's going on in your life, God's going to let you handle it. And when you finally get to a place where you're willing to say, I can't handle this anymore, I'm going to die. Oh, now you're just where God wants you. I'm there. I'm there with this church. I'm there with radio. I'm there in my personal life. I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed because we're on this little radio station at the time of greatest need when we should be at FM. I'm alarmed. I'm alarmed because I see what's going on in many of your lives. Beat up, exhausted, not seeing a way through. I'm alarmed for you. I'm alarmed for some of the marriages in this church. Because I see a very unusual thing. Usually it's the woman who shows in church. In this case, it's mainly the men I'm alarmed for them because of the rebellion of their wives. Now, we do have one man I have a difficult time with. I love him, Debbie, but I have a difficult time with Glenn. And I'm alarmed for him. I spoke with him this last week. I'm alarmed for him.
But I'm alarmed for song. I'm alarmed for Wendy. I'm alarmed for some other wives, Judy. I won't name them all, but I'm alarmed. And I'm crying out to God for them. Because I can't do anything to change what's happening. God has to do it. I'm alarmed for this nation. This nation is under incredible spiritual attack. More so than ever in the history of America because we share no common culture. A person can lie, have the FBI investigating them, and publicly laugh at the FBI and say they'll never charge me. That's what Mrs. Clinton did this last week. Utterly throwing to the wind law and order in our nation. I could talk about each of the candidates. I'm alarmed by every one of them. I'm alarmed by the uncovering of the unsavory and the ugly. God is at a point in our lives where he's not going to let the hidden be hidden. He's going to uncover it. God is calling us to be alarmed because of what's happening in America. I have resolved to inquire of the Lord. I pray you are also inquiring of the Lord and not trying to pedal your way through the deep muck, but you're going to Jesus and saying, if you don't answer me, I'm going to die. I can't put up with what's happening in my marriage. I can't put up with what's happening at work. I can't put up with what's happening in America. Something has to give, and Jesus, only you can make that happen. There has to be a total confession of my utter weakness and my utter inability to change something. I need you, Jesus. I need you, God. Until that becomes the reality of our hearts, we cannot enter in at the gate of righteousness. He then proclaimed a fast. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. I want our Sunday service. I want our Tuesday evening service. I want our Friday evening service. I want every gathering of this church to be about one thing. Jesus, we need you. We need your deliverance. We need your wisdom. Open the doors of the kingdom for us. The Lord has spoken prophetically about National Prayer Chapel. He wants us to humble our hearts and come to him. And he will hear us. The people of Judah, verse 4, came together to seek help from the Lord. They came from every town in Judah to seek him. 
And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the courtyard, the new courtyard, and he said, and listen to this prayer, I love it. It has to be our prayer. O oh Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands. And no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Was not America founded by Christian men and women? Did not people come from Europe for religious freedom? Were not the founders of our nation confessing the name of Jesus Christ? This nation was founded as a Christian nation, not as a secular nation. Now the devil in the midst of the founding of this nation wiggled his serpent body in among us in occultism. We see that in Washington, D.C. As the layout of Washington, D.C. is looked at, it's obviously occultic. The Washington Monument is seen as a place of worship for the underworld, for the gods of death. The pentagram drawn out in downtown Washington, D.C. Go to the Library of Congress and see Baal's face. But also all of the symbols of the gospel are there. This nation is losing its Christian heritage. Our president said Muslims were very effective and powerful in helping to found America. Are you kidding me? We formed our Navy originally to fight off the pirates of Morocco. Our Navy was formed to fight Muslims. Did you know that? They didn't help found this nation. They fought against this nation from the very beginning. And now we want to bring in refugees and flood America with places where Christians cannot go because Sharia law is being exercised. A Supreme Court Justice, Ginsburg, said, I make my deliberations on the court based on world law, not on the Constitution. America is going down the tube. We have lost our Christian heritage because we wanted money to continue flowing. We wanted our businesses. We wanted our our lives, we wanted to enjoy the good life. Well, the good life of liberty requires the shedding of blood to refresh. I tremble when I look at what's happening in America. The Minutemen who originally stood in Concord at that bridge 
Do you know who they were? They were led by a Baptist pastor. The shots were fired by his elders in the church. The war with the British started with Christians saying, enough, we're done here. We are not going to live under tyranny. It's time again for us as Americans to be alarmed and to cry out to Jesus and ask him for very specific direction regarding what we should be doing. He goes on. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. God will hear America again if the people of America who are Christians will humble their hearts before God and take a stand and say, oh God, we need you. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as our inheritance. America is the inheritance of Christian people. Are non-Christians welcome to live here? Absolutely. And I believe God is sending many non-Christians to America because we stopped going to their lands as missionaries. And now they're here. We don't have to go to a foreign land. Let's go get them for Jesus. Let's be alarmed at their condition and their attitudes and their way of life. And let's begin to evangelize them. 45% of the people, according to WAVA, who listen to Christian radio are not Christians. 45%. We have a voice. Buddhists, Muslims, Hindus are listening every day to our broadcast. I praise God for that. I want them for Jesus. I'm not against them. You know what? I'm not even against all of the illegal aliens. I say, bring them to Jesus. And then they will do the honorable thing. An honest Christian cannot act in an illegal manner. Maybe we can send them back home to convert the people of their land. We believe in indigenous ministry, right? Many of them need to go back home. It's not a good reason to come to America for money or prosperity. People need to come to America to hear about Jesus. And if we won't go to them, Jesus will bring them to us. 
for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. Our eyes are upon you. I tell you what this is causing me to do. It's causing me to spend a great deal more time in the prayer closet. It's causing me to get up earlier and go to bed later. It's causing me to wake up in the middle of the night. Three, four o'clock in the morning. And the Holy Spirit saying, come, I want to I talk to you. I want you to pray. It requires alarm. I mean, if you knew that tomorrow you would lose your place of dwelling... Would it alarm you? Yes. And it would cause you to pray and cry out to Jesus and say, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? What am I supposed to Right? The Lord wants us to cry out to him. He wants us to see the desperate need of our nation, of our church, of our own hearts. And he wants us not to be self-satisfied or arrogant or full of ourselves, self-righteous. He wants us to say, Jesus, I'm going to die if you don't come and rescue me. And we're going to die as a church if you don't come and rescue us. And our nation is going to die if you don't come and rescue America. All the men of Judah, verse 13, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. What a glorious picture. A whole nation stirred, standing before the Lord, saying, what shall we do? If you do not know how to go in the prayer closet and stand before the Lord for your life and your family, you'll never do it for the church and you'll never do it for the nation. It's growing up time. It's growing up time. Growing up means I recognize my powerlessness and I'm not willing to pretend that I can do it all and I can make it. It's giving up and surrendering to Jesus totally and completely. Giving up the right to be angry. Giving up the right to be bitter. Giving up the right to argue and fuss. It means we've got to come to Jesus. We need to come to Jesus' time in our hearts. Verse 14. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehazel, son of Zechariah. He said, listen, 
King Jehoshaphat, he shouted it out. They could hear it everywhere. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. As long as we think the battle is ours, the wrath of God is upon us. I do not want the wrath of God on me. The wrath of God will bring me into a place of judgment, into a place of incredible crisis, because the judgment of God always is for our salvation, to awaken us. The judgment of God is God's mercy to cause us to become alarmed, to cause us to look honestly at ourselves and say, I can't do it. If Jesus doesn't do it, it won't get done. Are you at that place? In your heart, are you at that place? Have you given up all hope that you can pull it out? If you haven't, you're still living in a delusionary state and you don't understand the deep crisis of the hour that we face personally in our families and corporately in America. My experience is that God will not hear and act on polite little prayers. Lord, would you please help me? Now I need to run and get done what I have to get done. God won't answer that prayer. He won't even hear it. It'll bounce right off the ceiling and hit me in the head. God begins to hear us when we get desperate. And if you're not desperate, you're asleep. There's never been a more desperate time than right now. And if you're not alarmed, you're asleep. And wake up, please. And recognize that God's judgment is on your life. That's why you're asleep. Shake yourself. Begin to identify the, the cry of your heart and begin to say, God, I can't do it. I can't do it. If you don't rescue me, I'm going to die. I need you, Jesus. When I get to that place with the Lord, I begin to make progress. Because the Lord begins, like when I was a kid, I said to my dad one day, he wanted me to go out to the garage. It was not a garage that was attached. It was a detached garage. He wanted me to go to the garage to get a specific tool. And I said, Daddy, I can't do that. 
The snow is too deep. And he looked at me, and he got this wonderful smile on his face. He said, come on, Ray. We'll go get it together. He said, I'm going to make the step, and you step where I step. I said, Daddy, your legs are too long. Will you take little steps? And he did. All the way out to the garage. And I had my big boots on. He had his boots on. And he made those steps. And that snow, I don't know how deep it was. It was fairly deep. I stepped everywhere Dad stepped. And then when we got there, he said, okay, get the tool. So I went and got the tool. I came back, and he walked all the way back. That's what God wants to do with us. The snow is too deep for you to make it. And God wants you to walk in his footsteps. But you're going to have to get real with him that you can't make it. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm. See the deliverance the Lord will give you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. What do you have to face tomorrow? Some of us have to face some things that are not pretty. I need God to walk ahead of me. I've got to go back, get up early in the morning and begin to cry out to the Lord and then I've got to sit down at that desk and I have to present the gospel to Washington, D.C. I have no strength and no power to do that. And whatever I say will fall to the ground and be useless if God does not quicken that word, if he does not come into that studio in power. It'll be a waste of $160, and it will be a waste of my energy. What do you have to face tomorrow? Do you need God to walk ahead of you tomorrow? in that relationship. Because you can't make it work. But God can. But to get there, you're going to have to get on your face before God. And you're going to have to let the Holy Spirit disown you from yourself. You're going to have to forget about you and focus on Jesus. You're going to have to humble your heart and cry out to him with earnest cries, with loud cries. Don't pray silently. God's not much on silent prayer. Oh, it's okay, but 
You're not going to see heaven and earth move on your behalf with silent prayer. You're going to have to stir up a storm. And God will move in it. How many times I've started to pray and I've said, Lord, I'm sleepy, I'm tired. I don't know what to say to you. In fact, if I'm not careful, I'm just going to go to sleep on you. And suddenly the Holy Spirit comes into that prayer and I'm enlivened and empowered and I pray what Jesus gives me to pray. You understand, I don't even have the power to pray. But Jesus comes in and gives me the prayer to pray. Please understand what I'm trying to say to you today. Nothing you have to offer except the blood of Jesus Christ will get the job done. You have to plead the atoning blood of Jesus over your situation, over the church, over the radio, over your pastor, over this nation, in this city. Jehoshaphat bowed to the ground. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. And then some Levites stood up. They began to praise the Lord with a loud voice. And early in the morning, they left the desert for the desert. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld with faith in his prophets. You will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord, to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. And they began to sing and praise, and the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The victory belongs to the Lord. They didn't even have to swing their swords. The armies turned on one another and killed every invader that was coming. And then it took Judah three days with Benjamin to go collect all of the booty to get the gold and silver coins that these men were carrying to get the armor that they were using. Israel was enriched, not placed in poverty. Oh, I want you to be able to go out and take the booty from your enemies. God does not want a poor people. He wants to bless us. But he wants us to be very clear that the blessing comes from his hand. 
He wants us to have laid aside ourselves so that we can see that the deliverance comes from the Lord. The marriage is healed by the hand of the Lord. The boss is changed by the word of the Lord, not by your cunning. The delivery comes at the hand of the Lord. And so let's review. Jehoshaphat was alarmed. He resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a a fast, a fast to humble their hearts before God, a fast to cleanse them from all known sin, a fast to call urgently upon God. called the assembly together to seek help from the Lord. The word of the Lord came. And then they rejoiced in the word of the Lord. They believed his word. And they were granted the victory. This is a model of how God has worked in my heart and in my life and in every person's life who will submit and give up the pride of their heart and stop being filled with their own stuff and their own righteousness. There's nothing uglier than a Christian filled with self-righteousness. There's nothing uglier than a Christian walking in their own strength and their own gifts, damaging others. It's Jesus. It's his love, it's his mercy, it's his grace. I pray this week God will alarm you if you're not already alarmed. And I pray that he will cause you to confess, I do not know what to do, but my eyes are upon you, Lord Jesus. Mighty King, I don't know what to do. And my eyes are upon you. And if you do not come, all that you have accomplished will be destroyed. And America will be swept away in its sin. Lord, I need you in my personal life. I need you in the life of this church. I need you in the radio. Lord, I need you for this nation. There's no area that I am not bleeding. And I will not survive if you do not come and bring deliverance. Lord, my eyes are upon you. And I praise you and rejoice in you. For the battle belongs to you. I pray in your holy name. Amen.